0: Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. She's the best, the best. She should just be on all of them. (laughs) NSL Double Talk featuring Jenny Galuzzo and Lauren Brody. Their topic today is challenges and solutions for working parents. As co-founder of The Second Shift, Jenny lives her life committed to the empowerment of women through work. She is fiercely dedicated to shifting the path forward for women with The Second Shift, an agency that re-engages women in the workforce after they have taken time off to raise their families. The Second Shift connects women with companies who need their specific and valuable skill sets. Jenny frequently speaks about career transitions, gender equity in the workforce, and becoming an agent for change. Jenny holds a bachelor's from Duke and a master's from Columbia University School of Journalism. Lauren is the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement, which supports the transition back to work after baby to keep women in the workforce and foster gender equality. Her book, The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby, was a simultaneous bestseller in the Amazon categories of motherhood, women in business, and cultural anthropology. Lauren is a frequent speaker for Fortune 500 companies and writes about the intersection of business and motherhood for the New York Times, Slate, Bloomberg, Businessweek, and Elle. Lauren holds a Bachelor's of Arts from the University of Pennsylvania. We are so excited to welcome Jenny and Lauren to NSL Double Talk. So Lauren,
1: we've worked together, we've worked in the same space, I've read your book. I know that the fifth trimester is a movement, and I'd just love to know how you became such an advocate for working parents.
2: Thanks, Jenny. I feel like usually when we see each other, we're both sitting, working quietly or on our phones having calls. It's nice to actually look at the table across from you and see you. So you were ahead of the curve. I knew of Second Shift years before I started doing my work and always kind of knew that there was this imbalance in the workplace for working parents. Clearly there was a need for the work that you guys are doing, but I didn't really experience it myself until I had my sons. I was working at Glamour Magazine, both ostensibly and in reality, a pretty supportive place for working mothers, and yet I didn't see anybody around me doing it in a way that looked sustainable to me. And um, when I came back to work after my first son, I had really, really struggled through what I had learned was called the fourth trimester, which is the newborn phase. You know that book, Happiest Baby on the Block by Harvey Karp. I loved that book. So incredibly helpful. Can you still name all the S verbs? Do you remember
1: them? <laughs> no, but I do have like a visual of sitting up at night reading it yeah, yeah. with the crying
2: baby, like just losing my mind. Yeah, so the idea is that you recreate the feeling Isn't there of the a wave?
1: Womb. You catch the wave?
2: Oh wait, that is. I remember the wave. There's like shushing and swaddling and sucking. You recreate that like tight cozy feeling of the womb because human babies are actually born three months too early, the idea goes, because of the size of the mother's pelvis and the baby's wonderful skull to accommodate a huge human brain, right? Um the problem with it is that throughout the book, I remember Dr. Carp just kept saying, just get to 12 weeks, mama. Do you remember that? get to 12 weeks, your baby will be the baby you thought you were giving birth to. Like, they'll get on a schedule, wake up to the world. And, and I just then thought, what happened at 12 weeks? I went back to work, obviously. <laughs> and my husband was in medical school. There was no question. I actually didn't feel very guilty about it because there was no question of would I keep working. I was, I, And I loved my job and I love my colleagues, but I was thoroughly ill-prepared to be a working mother. And I realized as I went back with the privilege of, you know executive sort of leadership role that I could be probably a little more transparent about the hard stuff than perhaps some of my colleagues had been able to be and i found pretty quickly that people kind of admired that i was admitting what's hard and still getting through it and I eventually had this big light bulb moment of, aha, there's a whole fifth trimester. It's when you go back to work and it can set you up for long-term success and companies need to do a better job of supporting it for parents. And I wrote a book, started a company, did a ton of research all over the country. That was like four years ago.
1: Did you feel like you were supported when you went back to work? What did Glamour do well?
2: So I had... Everything working in my favor. I had parents who had retired literally a month before my first son was born so they could fly to town on a moment's notice if need be. I had a husband who was in his residency, so working long hours, but fully, deeply believed in my career and in my ability to succeed and wanted to support me. We had enough saved that I could take a few weeks off of being paid. Not all of my leave was paid for. That's just not the case with most American women. At Glamour, I had bosses who said... Do what you need to do. We do need you back in 12 weeks. But they sent me a baby gift, super nice, um, gentle onboarding. I remember my boss, Jill, saying to me, you know, your first couple weeks, you're going to want to leave at like 4.30 or 5.00. That's okay. Because this was a culture where I had been very used to burning the midnight oil, and that was sort of how I measured deliverables and success. And she knew I was going to need an adjustment in how I saw myself and in the time that I needed to be able to get home to my kid. That's really lucky. I was lucky. And yet, even then, I knew that I was a lot luckier than a lot of American women were. And it was still just unbelievably challenging and earth shifting. And I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I had postpartum anxiety I was so lucky to have so much support, and yet I struggled tremendously. And as I began to dig into the research years later, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, what do you do if you don't have that much support? And how must that feel? And we see it reflected in... I mean, not to go super dark, super fast, but we see it reflected in our maternal mortality rate and in the rate of mental health problems that happen postpartum. New parenthood in America is just not supported to the, I shouldn't even say to the degree, like that's not doing it justice. It's not supported really at all compared to the rest of the world. And you see You mean we are the only industrialized nation without paid leave? In fact, yes. Yes, in fact. I think we'll get there eventually. I still don't think it'll be enough. I think it's become really prevalent in the dialogue, like, you know, all of the democratic
1: candidates in the election all have a platform on this. Mm -hmm. Um, The administration's talking about it. So I think from my experience, when we started the second shift, it was five years ago. So I don't even know when, 2015. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We started in 2015. The conversation was so different than just in the last five years. So just talking about women in the workplace, talking about needs, talking about childcare and talking about subsidized childcare and talking about the needs of working parents and working families and father taxes and mother Mm -hmm. taxes, none of these conversations were even happening. So if you think about how quickly that paradigm has shifted, it gives me a lot of hope for what's going to happen in the future and where we're going in terms of paid leave and just the empathy that you bring to work and the humanity that people need around new families. That's so
2: true. Um, and you've been a huge part of normalizing that. How does it Thank work? Thank you. Well, no, that, of course. That means a lot. How does it work with your, your clients, with the companies who you work with, who you're helping provide labor for? How do you instruct them? How do you teach them what the new normal should be in order to be competitive? It's funny you bring that
1: up. So what we find is that a lot of companies are now racing to offer all of these policies and leave for their families. Like big benefits, you know, they want working parents. They understand the value of retaining working parents. And they understand the reasons why and the data's there and all of these studies are out. So they're in this huge race to give the, the benefit And then they have zero idea how to implement it. Mm. So the execution is where it falls off. Mm. So the leave is there. You've got six months, you've got a year, you can ship your breast milk back, you can bring a, a nanny on their subsidized child care. All of these things are great until it falls apart when people have no idea how to put it into place. Team by team. Yeah, the policy's there, but the hiring manager doesn't know how to do it. They don't know how to have the tricky conversation. Who gets the leave? Who gets the policy? What level? Mm-hmm. All of these things are now in the process of being worked out. So we come in and we really work with companies to say, okay, we have this incredible talent pool that can come in, fill those leaves for you, for especially on the higher level. Like There's some companies we work with where, especially on the tech front, mm-hmm where all of the senior management are the people who are having babies because these companies are so young. Everybody's <laughs> taking off yeah. on leave. You've got to fill these super high-level positions. And so bringing in somebody to take on that job is a win-win-win because you've got your employees who feel supported mm-hmm. and the statistically will come back at a much higher rate. You've got people who are taking on those jobs who are really excited about having a six-month gig. You have these companies where they're super young workers and all of the senior staff are like in their 30s and their child parent years. Mm-hmm. And if a huge amount of them are going out on leave at the same time, it's really beneficial to fill those leaves. And we think of it as a win-win-win. You've got employees who feel supported and they've got people who are taking on their roles and they don't feel like they have something to lose if they go out mm-hmm. and that they feel like their company really cares. You have the women in our network who are thrilled for the opportunity to come in, do a job that pays well for six months, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the companies that don't have
2: the, I think the statistic is like 150% of a year's salary if an employee goes out. So the cost is six to nine months on average, but for any employee making $100,000 or more, it's actually 213%. It's 213. And, and I, the reason I know that number just off the top of my head, I know very few things off the top of my head, I know that number because when I started doing this work, I probably like you initially tried to sort of just woo clients by saying, This is the right thing to do for humanity. Don't we want a next generation? You know, don't we want parents to feel supported? It's the right thing, it's the right thing. Very quickly, I learned the only thing that sells this work is numbers and you know showing them the cost of losing these women the potential that these women have to be incredibly profitable earners and leaders once they get to leadership but you have to get them there and in order to get them there you have to retain them through this transition and y- the second shift is you know is one incredibly good way of doing that that goes back to what i was
1: saying before where in the last five years, so much of the conversation has changed. There was no data five right, years ago. Right. Exactly what you're saying. It was like a hearts and minds sale. Yeah. And you know, people care about hearts and minds, but what they really care about is data. So what's cool is that in the last five years, people have done the research. Yeah. There's there's, you know, lots of policy institutes that are looking at how much it costs. And looking at and you know, Google seeing what mm-hmm. if they give the leave, what does it actually mean? And it means 50% of the people come back if you yeah. give six months' leave. I mean, yeah. that's a huge number. Yeah. And when if they, people stay, you have women who are rising into higher roles and staying, and the attrition rates lower, and
2: you know, we are seeing a lot more gender equity. Yeah. A lot of those studies existed years ago internationally. And I think that American companies felt like Yeah, but we have different values here. Like, we don't have any paid leave at all. How can this even compare? And now we finally have data out of California, which has had paid leave for a while. And I'm so excited for New York State's self-analysis to happen as it's rolled out paid family leave. Are you finding you have to educate your clients? I don't
1: think we need to educate them because HR people really, they're up on the rules. At least the ones that we come across, What I find is that they're overwhelmed by the change because this is all happening really fast. What they have to do to be compliant is really intense. And so they're struggling to figure out how to do it quickly, how to make their employees happy. Because we're living in a time where employees have access to the ability to very quickly out their employers who aren't following. So it's very reactive in a lot of ways, but that's okay because it's moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It does seem to be that there's a huge dichotomy now.
2: Yes, yes, bigger than ever. Between
1: people who are in high level paying jobs and mm-hmm. what they get as a benefit mm-hmm. and you know the perks that are available to them like oh you're on a business trip we're going to ship your breast milk back home that's an amazing perk and the, this is you know a, an employee that is clearly of value enough for you to offer that and then the people who are working in fulfillment centers mm-hmm. on their feed who get really very little in terms of not only the leave that they're offered
2: but zero benefit right I always try to applaud the companies that are doing it well and Amazon is not a perfect employer by any means. However, they were early adopters to this idea that there can't be this upstairs-downstairs split between who gets good benefits. And so their hourly wage workers do have access to the same amount of family leave. I believe it's family leave. I don't know if it's parental leave or family leave, which is an important distinction because family includes people who need access to like elder care, taking care of a spouse. But they all have access to the same benefits. Even places like, you know, the salad place Sweetgreen yeah. I'm not sure where else in the country they are besides New York. They're one of my DC. S- yes, yes, that's right. So anyway, when they announced in, you know, beautifully designed tiles on Instagram that they were rolling out paid family leave, I couldn't figure out if they were talking about if it was really available for like the lady serving me my salad. So I went into the store and I bought a salad and at the checkout, I was this great woman. I asked this woman, I said, you know, so I, I heard that sweet green has paid family leave. And she says, yes. It's for, and she gestured with her hand, like down the line at everybody who was chopping all the salads. It's for all of us. Isn't that great? And I was like, thank goodness. Like this is setting the new standard. I feel like this is the next big way. This and being able to pump breast milk, like openly in the workplace, those are the two next frontiers, I think, in this work. What do you feel like is next? What are you looking for companies to do more of?
1: I think parental leave is, and family leave is like mm-hmm. you mentioned, which I think is something that we should really talk about because leave is leave. And I love the idea of it being something that you can use at different times as needed. Mm-hmm. If you have to take care of an ill parent, if you have to, which is happening as workers are older and older, and people have to take care of parents and to have to leave the workforce to pay for the exorbitant cost of elder care is insane. So if you can have flexible policies around when people take leave, especially there's lots of people who don't have children. Yeah, And to be penalized against that is just incredibly unfair. So I think it's a leveler family leave, which is awesome. Right now, the cost of childcare is so exorbitant. There is no subsidized childcare for most people. And it's like, I think in 28 states, it's more than the cost of college yeah
2: in the US I'm not so, surprised and the younger the child the more expensive the care which which is something else that really makes the case for having a little bit more every incremental leave you can offer of paid leave to your employees ultimately saves them money in child care especially for those very very early days and helps them be able to stay in their career companies that offer backup daycare i absolutely love this idea the fact that if you have a sick kid
1: who is home from school or got a concussion at whatever, got hit in the head at soccer. Like, I'm feeling really like, bad for this kid. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a million reasons why people have kids who are home and you have to scramble last minute. It or the daycare floods. It literally happens to me today. Uh, yeah. So these are the things that happen, and you have to figure out what to do with your kids. So you're going to take an entire day off of work versus having the ability to just drop your kid off that day. Yes. And And it's one of those things that just makes working parents' lives easier. Mm -hmm. And anything you can do to make a working parent's life easier or just take a little bit of the burden because we don't have a government that is helpful. So it's up to private corporations to step in and do the things that are right for working parents because ultimately the bottom line is you're going to have more successful business, you're going to have more successful employees, these people are going to stay, and it engenders a lot of gratitude and for people to stay in their jobs. If yeah. they feel supported And that, why would I leave?
2: I've got this great <laughs> gig. I'm staying here. Yeah, It's so interesting to me that it's on the private economy to normalize these kinds of benefits. Eventually, these benefits will trickle over to becoming federal policy, I hope. The real problem, I think, is that it's normalized this notion of 12 weeks, as the time, how many times do you hear people say, did you get to take your whole 12 weeks? Unpaid. Unpaid, right? And, the, and so actually, you know, most American workers can't afford to spend a quarter of their year not being paid. So 25% of American new American moms take two weeks or less. And the average amount taken of FMLA by moms is eight and a half weeks. And
1: let's just point out, it takes
2: 40 weeks to gestate a baby. Yeah,
1: oh. And then you're expected to go back to work two weeks later. And right. that doesn't even take in mind for people who have Cesarean sections, right? People who have adopted children who need more time. How about too? a baby in the NICU? A baby in the NICU. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, or if you have, you know, some sort of complication and you have to start those
2: twelve weeks earlier before right. the baby is right. even born. Those twelve weeks start the clock. Time just ticking away. It's really, I mean, it's inhumane. But so what I see in my work with these new mothers who I work with and with these companies who are trying to keep them is that they come back, if they do get their whole 12 weeks, they come back and they feel, like I did, guilty and distraught and like they're doing something wrong, that this is so incredibly hard to be back after 12 weeks when their country has told them, like, you should be great by now. No, they're not back in their old clothes. They're not, you know, they're still sweating at night. They're still healing. They still want to bond with this baby who's just woken up to them. It's actually, there's there's no, like, medical research around the 12-week point as being this time when babies are ready to be left, which isn't to say that if you want to go back to work, by all means, like, my, my work is all about giving you the agency to be able to make the decisions you want it to make for your family, but it's inhumane how soon people are back.
1: So how does it work? You get hired by individual workers, or do you get hired by the companies they work for, and then you come in as a
2: coach? So I I do do some coaching. It's actually a smaller part of my work. My main, actually, my my main income stream is um, speaking events. So I will go into companies, and they'll bring me in to do a lunch and learn or something to educate their workers about sort of um, strategies for getting back to work after you've come back from a leave. And what I always say to them, I'm very, I'm not blaming of any company that can't offer six months of paid leave i mean i'm a small company and i couldn't afford that myself at this moment i hope one day maybe um but so what i say to them is you know you just have to do everything you can to scaffold that new parents experience to get them through that gap that fifth trimester from the time when they come back until they get to that six month or nine month point and then they'll stay So do everything you can to be flexible. Do everything you can to offer them what they're asking for or to open up the conversation to ask them what they need. And give them a supportive team around them, offer that same flexibility to everybody around them who's also not a parent, so they don't feel stigmatized by it, and retain them. So I go in and I'll give a speaking engagement and then they'll have a dilemma on a team, you know, two weeks later and they'll say, Oh, that lady knew a lot about this. And they'll <laughs> call me and I'll consult, or they'll hire me to do individual coaching with the moms who are returning. Although I'm just me, so I only have, you know, like a select number of clients that I can take on to take their whole, you know, returning moms.
1: What are you seeing? from companies where you think that they've done the right thing? like What are the best practices that are in place that you're like, kudos, you guys are doing it right?
2: Well, Jenny, one of my speaking offerings is best practices guidelines. (laughs) The companies that are doing it best really do understand that this notion of not ignoring the human in the workplace and allowing people to be themselves and um, be inspired by their personal lives needs to apply to everybody. So it is family leave. When I go into these companies, I'm helping them eliminate discrimination and sexism and protect themselves legally, frankly, from all kinds of terrible lawsuits that could be thrown at them for being discriminatory towards moms. And the motherhood penalty and mom bias is Real, real, real. I was going to ask you how this all rolls up into the idea of the like mommy tax. Yeah. So the mommy tax, motherhood penalty, call it what you want. It stinks all around. Can I say it It stinks? (laughs) The flip side of the coin is the daddy bonus. But essentially the motherhood penalty is the measurable negative impact of motherhood on a woman's earnings and her status in the workplace. What's the number? The number. So there are a ton of studies. The very most conservative number, this number is like, you multiply it by seven for the least conservative number, 4% per child is how much a woman's income drops. These studies all account for and control for things like, oh, was she out on leave this year and lost some income? Did she need flexibility for a while and work part-time? Like, that's not even part of it. This is entirely based in bias and stigma. There's also studies that show that mothers' starting salaries, which sort of helps you realize this is not about like the same person who came back to the job and did it differently. Mothers' starting salaries are 8% lower than women's salaries who are not moms and 9% lower than all men's. It's a real phenomenon. And so the earnings impact is measurable, right? What's harder to pin down is that second part of the definition, the status. So there are a bunch of studies that show that moms are seen as less competent, less committed to their work, when in fact there's a whole other pile of studies that show that actually we are more efficient, we are better at pivoting between tasks, we are more committed, we are better mentors. It's interesting because in part of the second shift, what we do is
1: we have a network of women, right, who we call members. Mm -hmm. And as part of the membership application process, we do a deep dive into who you are. And the final step is that we have a welcome call. And so that being my role, I have spoken to thousands of (laughs) women and I get to hear their personal stories about what brought them to join the second shift Uh and also, you know, how grateful they are that we're there to step in and try to help them. And it's like you see very similar patterns, and I've heard these women who are saying, you know, I'm the last woman at my desk at um, at this bank, and all of the men go out every night, and they schedule meetings at five o'clock, and I want to go home to my kids, I want to take care, I want to be there for whatever, meal, homework, and Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm letting women down if I leave. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm going to downshift in my career, and I'm never going to be able to catch up, but I'm at the end of my rope. And they'll come to us and and say, like, I'm leaving. That's it. I'm out. (laughs) I'm like, have you spoken to anyone in HR? have yeah. you had the conversation have you tried to speak up about what you need and why you're you're feeling like you're not being heard and all of these issues because before you leave and you take a step out where women you know if you take 5 years out you're never
2: going to catch up really the statistics say 9 months 9 months and you don't catch up the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation recently rolled back, they had 12 months of paid leave and they rolled it back to six months but then gave everybody a stipend of $20,000 for childcare because that's actually where the gap was. But the studies all showed that actually if you're out longer than nine months, it's damaging to your career. You're not going to get back to where you were.
1: It's so hard and it's one of the reasons why we work specifically with women who have not really taken a huge step out of the workforce because it's a really different proposition if mm-hmm. you've been out for a certain amount of years and there's people who are doing great work and coaching and getting you back into the workplace and we have lots of ideas and thoughts around that but really it's the third kid it's yeah. the commute it's you know sitting hours and hours and just feeling like I'm better off being a consultant, I'm better off going part time and But understanding, like you said, the guilt, but also understanding how much you think about now that you know these statistics, you're letting yourself down or you're afraid that you're going to be downshifting into a different type of career, which might give you the flexibility and it might give you the ability to have more ownership of your life and your family. But what does it mean long term in terms of your career success and your longevity and your ability to make money? And what's the give up?
2: And what does life look like when your youngest goes to kindergarten? You are making big choices for a very specific time of life that moves really fast. Yeah, it's funny. I took a gig, like maybe 18 months. It was an editorial side gig that I took. And in the time that I had been out, just in that 18 months, slack became a thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I have to learn that. There's nothing to learn. It's so easy. It's so user-friendly. But... Within 18 months, that's how quickly I felt like the world had moved on while I was writing a book and promoting it and <laughs> building this company.
1: And the truth is, is that, you know, your book is called The Fifth Trimester and you're, and that's when people make decisions about their career choices because you're coming back into the workforce and you're feeling frazzled and crazy and guilty. And so you you might be like, okay, I'm out. Right. Or you're underpaid. But and you're making you're- these choices at a time that you are actually not in your right state of mind to make them. So whenever anybody comes to me, I'm like, don't make any decisions. <laughs> it's like, you know, people say when you're pregnant, like, don't get a haircut or buy a house. <laughs> like, Don't make career decisions when you are first back to work. Like, give it a beat. Yeah, Try to get some foundation and footing and then decide what you want to do later because... I've been in the lucky position where my partner, Gina, she has kids who are a little bit older than mine, so I've seen how quickly life changes and the needs of your kids change, and all of a sudden, you know, they're in school all day, and they don't need you, and your life opens up in a different way. And so to make choices that negatively affect the rest of your life when your kids are really little, they're better off reading your book <laughs> seeing <laughs> what they need and how to go about just asking for what they want Creating a space within your own workforce for what you need, talking to your employer, or you know, come working with a company like the Second Shift that provides opportunities to keep women engaged so that you're never taking a beat away from the workforce and you'll be able to just keep going and be successful and rise up in the ranks. And hopefully we'll create a world where there's gender parity and equity at the top ranks. And you know who's gonna do it?
2: You know who's gonna do it? We are women. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love talking to you.
0: You too. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning.